Not one, not two, not three, not five, not eight, not even ten, nor eleven, nor twelve, thirteen U.S. goals for the U.S. women's national team in their opening match of the Women's World Cup yesterday. Thirteen nothing over Thailand. What? Yeah, they missed the extra point. They missed the second extra point. That's the joke, of course. Everybody's saying that. But yeah, it was a an amazing, on a many levels, a record-breaking goal-scoring output for one team in the Women's World Cup. They defeat Thailand in their opener and group play 13-0. It was 3-0 at half. Now, that's not the story. Everybody's talking about this game for a number of reasons. Let's just get right into it. They're all talking about it. They're arguing over the wrong thing, right? If you're on social media or if you've been watching the uh, the talking heads uh, on TV, on the radio, on your sports talk shows, even some of the shows here on ESPN LA have been talking about over the last day or two, they're, almost everyone is arguing over the wrong things. It's amazing that someone can pick a side and both sides can be wrong at the same time. I'm here to clean it up for you. Now, what I've been hearing so many people on social media, and right, you've probably heard people, the, the talking heads or people on social media saying, so what that they ran up the score? It was 13-0, so what? You know what? That's the wrong argument. Now, they're correct in saying, the score shouldn't matter because if goal difference is a factor, and it is in the World Cup as we know, then you must go out and score as many goals as you can, regardless of how it makes your opponent feel. Right? If goal difference is a thing, then there can be no mercy in that sense. You have to. Go, they should have made it 30 nil if they could. And I know that's hyperbole a bit, but you get the point. If goal difference matters as a tiebreaker, it does. Then you go out and you just keep scoring. I got no problem with that. It's the wrong argument. That's not what most people are complaining about or upset about. Now, the other side says you shouldn't be celebrating like that if you're the U.S. team. It went overboard. I mean, okay, I could see that. I'll be honest, I would lean towards that argument. But then people are just convoluting it with, well, of course they're allowed to score. They should be able to celebrate. It's the World Cup. Well, yeah, but, you know, the cliche, act like you've been there before, isn't the worst cliche in sports. And you were there an awful lot just minutes ago if you're the United States women's team. But I see Megan Rapino rolling around on the ground after the ninth goal went in. And these core, you know, coordinated celebrations after the tenth or eleventh, whatever it was, I understand you want to celebrate first five, six, seven goals, maybe. I can understand if someone tells you, "Hey, let's back it down a little bit here." Of course, you're happy. Of course, you go celebrate with the person who get, you know fed you the ball, maybe made the best assist of the game or something. You go over, yeah, you celebrate a little. That's not disrespectful. But uh, it's borderline when you're rolling around on the ground after the ninth goal of the game. It is. Now, you could argue, hey, it's the World Cup. Who cares? Try and stop us. Again, that goes back to the goal difference thing. No, you got to score as many as you can. I got no problem with that. If it was 30-0, I have no problem with it. I really don't. The, the, the Thailand, you know, Thailand's team, they're, they're grown women. They can take it. Don't worry about it. Except for... 
Here's an argument towards a lot of this stuff. The over-celebrating, even maybe the score itself. I got to give full credit to Thailand in that match. They deserve the most credit for something, and I'll tell you what it is. Keeping a level head, right? The Thai national team got run over in that game. We know that. It's a record-breaking game, 13-0. How frustrating must that have been? Ten goals allowed in the second half. Do you know how annoying that must have been? On that level, and then to see people celebrating like they saw the U.S.? Now, again, whatever argument you have one side or the other, it doesn't even really matter. I want to give full credit to the Thai national team for not losing their heads. Because, quite frankly, Megan Rapino and a couple other women on that team, Alex Morgan given the one, two, three, four, five, you know, because like, she scored five goals. Fabulous player. Unbelievable game. You're kind of lucky you can walk on your knees today. You're lucky you're still standing upright if you you know if you didn't if you got out of that game alive. That's that is a concern. Now that wouldn't make it right, and I'm again full credit to the Thai national team for not losing their heads. Right? They kept their wits about them. They kept playing hard. The U.S. kept playing hard and kept scoring. That's fine. All of it. Kudos to the Thai national team for not trying to get dirty about it and maybe getting a little upset because I I wouldn't blame them on some level. Now, again, you never want to take it out physically on people and try to hurt them, but there's only so much somebody can take. And thankfully, Thailand took it in stride and were very professional about it despite getting their, absolutely getting their head handed to them. So, I mean... On the field, a great start for the U.S. A great story, really. Quite frankly, I wouldn't have been surprised. I mean, realistically, this is the best thing that can happen for the U.S. women's national team because now everybody's paying attention. But that can also lead to some issues, too. And Mario, we've talked about it here. A lot of people have talked about it. A great tweet set me off over on Twitter. And it was from uh, at the Kayla Knapp. Kayla Knapp's been working around. She's been working in soccer for a number of years. Still a young woman. I mean, I'm not sitting here telling you she's been working in the soccer for 40 years. I don't mean, you know, to say it. But she's been around. She knows what she's doing. And the only negative about Kayla Knapp is she works for the sports hate of my life in the, in the in Portland Timbers and the Thorns. And by, guilt by association there for those teams and with her. Because I sports hate the Timbers with a passion of a thousand sons. So that's our only negative, but pretty good tweet, I must say, Uh, about a day ago. And I'm quoting this tweet, again, at the Kayla Knapp. One thing I do not miss about the World Cup is all the hot takes from people who tune into the sport for one month every four years. (laughs) Bravo! I don't need to be told by talking head guy who doesn't know a corner kick from a goal kick how to react to the World Cup. I don't. Neither does Kayla. We don't need it. Just shut up and watch. No, you don't deserve an opinion in this case every four years. You don't. You can say what you want. I'm not paying attention. We don't care what you have to say. Shut up. Learn the game. Be around it for more than a hot minute. 
and maybe we'll respect your opinion when it, when we come ask you for it. Right? I mean, I get so sick of these talking heads and, and sports talk radio and these writers. I mean, they don't, they have no clue. But boy, they got to tell you about it. And how much they uh, know about the game, even though they don't really like it. I'm supposed to. Re- I'm supposed to care about their opinion. You're supposed to care. Stop. Anybody listening to this show on a consistent basis knows far more about the beautiful game than most of these bloviators. The tweet summed it up perfectly. How we all feel every four years. Hilarious, actually. Very good. U.S. Men's National Team from the women to the men. We got the Gold Cup approaching. Oh boy. What did I witness in that friendly against Venezuela? Wow. The U.S. men's national team looked a fool against the Venezuelans. 3-0 down if you blinked in the first half. And then they just kind of played it out in the second half. Venezuela took some mercy on us, it appeared. But yikes, the Greg Berhalter era has hit a bit of a road bump here. Going into the Gold Cup with these two friendlies that were just ugly. Now, again, friendlies... If he goes out and wins the Gold Cup, we're not even going to remember these games, admittedly. And that's the way it should be. But yikes, if they looked a little bit ragged going into these Gold Cup games. The Gold Cup, of course, starts in our own backyard in the Rose Bowl on Saturday. Canada taking on Martinique, and then, of course, Mexico-Cuba in their group games, which get going. The United States don't kick off until Tuesday the 18th. So almost a week from now, they'll take on Guyana at Allianz Field in... uh, up in Minnesota, Panama and Trinidad, the other two teams in that group. So the United States will be fine. I'm really not that worried about it. I mean, you can play some bad games occasionally, but here's here's the takeaway from it. And it's kind of similar to the U.S. under-20 team who got to the quarterfinals under Tab Ramos and then just flamed out again in the quarters. Played a good game against a tough Ecuadorian team. No problem with that. You've heard me talk about it before if you listen. Here's the thing about Greg Berhalter and the Gold Cup. If if you're going to play these competitions and you need to make them matter, then you have to go out and play well. You have to perform as a manager and as players. And yes, there must be some accountability. I do not want to let this thing get off the rails and keep him in the job before it's too late. Right? We we allowed that to happen in 2018, the buildup, and we missed out on the World Cup. That can never happen again. So I am putting pressure on these players and Greg Berhalter to do well. And, you know, if you don't win the Gold Cup, well, we'll see. Depends on how you play. We'll see what happens. But I am no longer above firing a coach earlier rather than later. Because with these World Cup cycles, we now see the devastation that can happen if you don't make it. And I will not put up with that. And I say it with the U-20s. They didn't win, right? They got to the quarters. Everybody's like, oh, great job on you know social. Oh, way to go, Tom Ramp. Fire him. He didn't win. And you can say, well, that's unrealistic. So what? We should be winning. That should be the reality. It isn't now, Denholm. Well, how do you get there? Getting there is not re- rewarding decent or even just good or wow surprising getting there is rewarding true success and if it's Greg Burhalter or our youth coaches you got to get the job done 
I'm sick of it, and I don't want to miss the World Cup again because we wait too long if Greg Berhalter's not the answer. He may well be. I got no problem with him having the job right now. We just need a shorter leash. And you know what else? I'll say this. Remember, we just had an election that we talked about a lot on this show last year for U.S. soccer, right? We had Eric Winald on, talked to Kyle Martino, a couple of candidates who were running for U.S. soccer president. Well, the winner was Carlos Cordero. It appeared to be very much status quo, right? Sunil Gulati's right-hand man, in essence, or whatever. You know, just moving up the chain after Gulati left. I don't blame Carlos Cordero for winning an election and taking the job. Here's who I'm going to hold responsible for if Greg Berhalter doesn't work out and if we do not have success. The Athletes Council we talked about, who voted in a block and were real, uh, you know, obviously very powerful in that sense. And among them, I will hold responsible, like I said then, all the uh, members of the Athletes Council, not the least of which are guys like Stu Holden and Brian Ching and Angela Huclis and Carlos Bocanegra and Kate Markgraf, John O'Brien, I'm not listing them all, Heather O'Reilly, all of them. I've got the list. You can find it, uh, still find the names of the people. Grant Wall had a big story on it back in February of last year, in fact, at SI.com. I just was reading off the list. Now, there's more names than just that, but I, they have to be held responsible as well. They decided that Carlos Cordero was the right choice. Well, if he's not, then they got to answer for that too. Because we, we can't, we got to be through messing around. Now, again, it's sports. I get it. They made the best decision they thought at the time. You don't have to agree with it, but it's their right. And they did it. Like I said, Cordero won fair and square in terms of the election. But we got, we have to, as a nation, in order to get better, we've got to allow ourselves to be held accountable. You can't just blow this stuff, you know, off or sweep it under the rug, whatever cliche you want to use. You can't do that. We can't do that anymore. So, and you start with managers and the responsibility. Hey, hit me up on Twitter, at TalkSoccer, with your thoughts on what I've just been talking about with the uh, U.S.-Thailand game and all the things going on. And don't you just love these people? All of a sudden, all these soccer experts come out when the World Cup is around every four years for the men and women. Ridiculous. I don't want to hear from you. And also, the U.S. men's national team heading into the Gold Cup. Hit me on Twitter, at TalkSoccer. That's where the show lives. I am Dave Denholm. You are listening to the home of world football in Southern California, ESPN LA 710. Soccer Weekly, ESPN LA 710. I am Dave Denholm. This is the home of world football in Southern California. We're pumped and excited about the U.S. Open Cup victory for LAFC. We find out who their next opponent will be on the draw coming up tomorrow. Speaking of world football, I had to give this young lady a few days rest before we got her back on the show after that Champions League final. You remember just a couple of shows ago, Kiva O'Neill from a Liverpool Echo joined us to talk about the Reds. And, well, now we have to have her back on. Hopefully you got enough rest after that crazy trip, Kiva. Congratulations to the Liverpool club that just thoroughly dominated the final. I guess I just start with what was that trip to Madrid like for you? Well, it was quite easily the best weekend of my life. <laughs> Watching the football team have supported my entire life. What Winning the European Cup was just... You can't even... I've got to explain it, but it was just euphoric. And a historic moment, and I was there to witness it. So uh, it was an absolute pleasure. Um, a weekend in paradise, some would say. Yeah. You can ask any Liverpool fan right now how they feel, and they'll still say, you know, we're on... 
we're on cloud nine or should I say cloud six because you know we've we've won it six times now and ahead of the game you know we were we were excited but we knew that we couldn't lose this game this match is the biggest in our history and you know we secured the title after what's been a phenomenal season it would have just felt so sad and sickening really if Liverpool would have come away without silverware and now you know we're champions of Europe which just is doesn't get any better to say we'll just keep on saying it we are champions of Europe and it feels good yeah, you're champions of Europe until someone beats you. you. You have to enjoy that for the entire year and maybe longer. Who knows what happens in 2020? We're talking with Kiva O'Neill from uh, Liverpool Echo. You can check her out on Twitter at Kiva Sport. And I got to tell you, some of the pictures, some of the stories you've been talking about for the last several days, obviously with the Liverpool victory and what you know, the stories that have been Kiva. What was the celebration like? I mean, the parade, all that stuff. You know, even following it. The next few days, like you said, you probably barely remember it. You were on cloud nine, but I, I see so many great pictures and stories from what you're, you know, what you've been working on. Talk a little bit about that after the victory and coming back and all the things that have been going on in Liverpool. Yeah, so obviously being inside the stadium was just amazing. You know, I've got goosebumps thinking about it now. Watching your team lift the trophy is just magical and something you know I'll be talking about for the rest of my life probably and tell the grandkids one day that I was there. Um, and then I got to fly back to Liverpool straight away. And um, if Madrid was a sea red, then Liverpool was double that. It was close to a million people turned out and lined the streets to welcome home our champions. And it was just, you can't really describe what the scenes were like. You know, there was red smoke pumping out of the lava buildings, world famous lava beds, you know, and there's red smoke and confetti, ticker tape everywhere. And, you know, these champions, they're coming through on this open top bus and you know the songs being sung and then you know when they, they sort of gathered on the strand overlooking the famous river mersey and you'll never walk alone being pumped out of speakers and you know we're all singing along and it just felt like a culmination of so much hurt and you know we haven't won a trophy since 2012 so mm-hmm. it's been a long time coming it just felt like a big release of everything and you know now it just feels like we feel like giants now it just feels like no one's ever going to beat us again we're just we are on top of the world and the top of yours most definitely yeah well we'll talk about our mutual friend kiva uh my buddy david let's just leave it at that and uh he is already talking about getting over to the super cup you know what i mean it's just he's still euphoric that he he doesn't want this to end. Uh, what what is it like in the city? Uh, you know, certainly the city is red, you know, mostly red. Let's be honest, but there's a lot of other fans. We talked a little bit about Everton, but keeping it for the Liverpool fans. I mean, is is the air sweeter? Do people get along better the last few weeks around town? What's it like? Yeah, I think every night now in Liverpool, you know, I was out on Friday and there was still songs being sung when everyone's <laughs> having a drink, and you know, now everyone's just. It's just celebratory mood yeah. across the city and the surrounding areas. And it will be all over the world. You know, you've seen threads of Liverpool fans celebrating in Lebanon and Afghanistan, Canada, America, Australia, Asia, everywhere. Liverpool are a global football club. And this just, you know, it feels like such a good place to be in right now. We've got fantastic owners who obviously done a great job with the Boston Red Sox. And now they've done this job for us because, you know, we... We needed owners to come in who were going to deliver, and they've absolutely delivered. They've given us what we want, and then now, obviously, you know, we're hungry for more. And like you say, I know a lot of people who've 
already booked to go to Istanbul for the Super Cup. We'll be playing Chelsea in August. Um, we've got a charity shield against Man City. You know, there's a, there's a lot to look forward to as Liverpool mm. fans right now. And, you know, it doesn't feel we've got Jürgen Klopp, the best manager in the world. And this team is arguably and easily, I'd say, the best team in the world. So, you know, the, the mood is just, just it's the best time <laughs> to be a Red right now. Uh, No doubt about it, and and that's why we're talking with uh, Kiva O'Neill joining us. He's a friend of the show, football writer for uh, Liverpool Echo. How much easier does it make your job right now, Kiva? So much easier, because, you know, it's funny, like, coming on Monday this week, and you're thinking, I'm probably not going to be writing about the Champions League final still. You know, it's like over a week now, but still, I had a day off today, but tomorrow I'll be back in, and I'm sure there'll be a story, because... You know, there's so much content and so much that we missed. Yeah. Although we covered everything, there's still things that you see and think, oh, how did, like, there's a video today which the club shared of just six minutes of Jürgen Klopp just straight after the game. And, like, you know, I was, like, had tears in my eyes watching it, just he sort of, like, shaking people's hands and hugging people and just, like, a quiet sort of clip from the stadium. And, you know, these things keep emerging and we're just, we're still riding this wave, I think, of just, euphoria quite simply it's you know i don't think it'll ever feel real yet it feels the most real at the same time yeah yeah I, no doubt about that it does make the job easier but you know makes it more fun too i can't believe you have anything left to write about it because i've been reading the echo of course since and your work and all your colleagues my goodness the coverage has been truly incredible if you're a reds fan i mean even if you're not a liverpool fan frankly if you're just a fan of the beautiful game you should be reading the Liverpool Echo online and uh, checking out uh, Kiva's work and all her colleagues who have done a fantastic job. Uh, Kiva, look, here's the thing. The world marches on, right? Of course, you want to you bask in it and everything. Uh, what about the future for this club? I mean, we talked a little bit about it last time. It doesn't look like you guys are going anywhere. You know what I mean? Like This is a club that is now back, and it looks like you're here to stay. Yeah, well, it's... That's what it feels like at the minute. You know, it's been, this is Jürgen Klopp's fourth year. And when I spoke to you last time, it was like, you know, if he's had a lot of bad luck in finals and now, you know, he's had a real a real slice of luck because, you know, he's, he's finally won a final after, I think, seven attempts of finals. And, yep. you know, th- this club now going forward can only feel like, you know, I, I said it feels like they're not going to give away the ball. That's how good we feel off this obviously we are going to have to you know let the other let the other teams have have a bit of possession too but <laughs> it just feels like Liverpool are finally back on the pitch and now it's about chasing you know we're coming into next year will be 30 years without winning the Premier League title the championship so you know that'll be probably our main focus mm-hmm. and you know clubs like Man City have obviously won it back to back they'll be looking now thinking you know, this is an incredible achievement because, you know, this season was almost over. But you, you're getting beat 3-0 on aggregate to Barcelona. The impossible, the miraculous happened. And then, obviously, we, we lose the league on the final day by a point, which is just agonising. But this this European Cup journey, the road yeah. to Madrid, it kept us going. And, you know, we, we will eventually stop talking about it, maybe. You know, I'll see how we feel. Yeah. But, um, you know... This is just sort of the foundation now. These players have had that taste of of silverware and they're going to want more. And, you know, we come so close to the league title and 
I think every trophy now, even the FA Cup and the League Cup, we're going to be looking at it thinking, you know, they want to celebrate, they want to win, they want to bring something back to Liverpool because I don't think they realised how special it was. You know, nearly a million people came out to celebrate in the city and if we won the Premier League, I honestly think it would be double that because it's been such a wait. Yeah. For number 19, so fingers crossed. I can only imagine the celebration. I can't imagine the celebrations, frankly. We're talking with Kiva O'Neill uh, at Kiva Sport on Twitter. You can follow her work. She works for the Liverpool Echo as a football writer. Now, let's put the football writer cap back on, okay? And let's say yep. it, let's say you're a neutral, which, of course, you're not. You grew up as a, a Liverpool fan. <laughs> but as you watch that game, Kiva, how, how much did that early penalty change? Pretty much everything, it seemed, from a neutral's perspective. It really seemed to change the entire tie. Yeah, well, I think an early goal is always quite tricky in a final. I never like personally, you know, my team to score an early goal because <laughs> then, you know, what it seemed to do then, Tottenham sort of yeah. have to go for it then and get yeah. the equaliser. But it sort of killed the tie there and then. It was like, you know, it was this sort of bizarre handball, which he, he Moses Sissoko obviously stretches out his arm and, you know, it's in the way of the ball, comes off his chest. Um, from Sadio Mane and then you know Salah has this moment where he's you know holding the ball and about to take the penalty after obviously coming off in the final the year before he has this big chance to put it away and then he sort of wins the European Cup there and then which is just you know quite bizarre Um, the game was not really I don't think it'll go down in history as one of the most memorable obviously the result will Mm -hmm. doesn't really matter you know to, to Liverpool now because they won it but it was you know, as if I was, obviously I'm so Liverpool focused watching the game, but if I was watching it, it wasn't, you know, the standout game that you'd sort of expect. It heated up towards the end, I think, and then obviously Origi scored to confirm the win for Liverpool. But, you know, Tottenham had some good spells, but I feel like they'd maybe let the final get to them, which is what had happened to Liverpool last season. Yep. But we learned from our mistake, luckily, this season. Well, you're absolutely right about nobody cares at this point and nobody will care in 50 years about the game itself other than the victory for Liverpool. Keeve O'Neill from the Liverpool Echo. She's a football writer there. She's now a friend of the show. We've enjoyed having her on. Kiva, always a pleasure. Thanks so much. We'll talk to you soon. I really appreciate it, and I'm glad you, you know, for your sake, quite frankly, I was a neutral, but <laughs> glad, you, glad you got the victory and you got to enjoy it. Thanks so much. Oh, thanks so much, Dave. You bet. Kiva O'Neill, check out her work on Twitter, at Kiva Sport, and uh, we really appreciate her taking the time here to give us a reflection of what happened to Liverpool. We had to, we wanted to wait a little bit of time just so they could come down from cloud six, as she so eloquently put it, because of the celebrations going on. I mean, they needed to celebrate that victory, and indeed they have and continue to do in Liverpool. We continue to celebrate the greatest soccer show on the planet, right? We're going off with stoppage time still to come. we got so much more to get to. I'm Dave Denholm, and you are listening to the home of world football in Southern California. It's ESPN LA 710. Home of world football and LAFC here on ESPN LA 710. I am Dave Denholm, the voice of Los Angeles Football Club and the voice of Soccer Weekly each and every week here on ESPN LA. Don't forget, hit me up on Twitter, at TalkSoccer. If you miss anything in the podcast, if you didn't hear my rant in segment one about the U.S. women and the 13-0 scoreline against Thailand, you can listen to the podcast. Go uh, you know, go to the ESPN's Pod Center, go to whatever iTunes is called now, and you know, subscribe, rate, and review. Search for Soccer Weekly. You can't miss it. It is time now for the Black and Gold Breakdown. One, two, three, breakdown! It's 
the Black and Gold Breakdown. Breakdown. Break it down like this right now. A big win for LAFC against RSL 3-0. Now, I want to start with this. We had been talking and promoting about how we were carrying that game, the U.S. Open Cup game. Obviously a separate competition from Major League Soccer. And there were some complications, some rights issues or whatever, that just some question marks. So we could not carry that game last night. We're trying to work that out. Hopefully we can get the other U.S. Open Cup games, maybe. If LAFC keeps winning, that would be lovely. We'll see what happens. We'll keep you informed. But we apologize for that uh, kind of late notice there on uh, pulling the plug on that one. Now, LAFC had no trouble with Real Salt Lake. They go to Sandy, Utah, and it was just such a professional performance. I mean, it really was. It was dominance. 3-0, a little flattering on the score line because it wasn't like a usual LAFC game where there's like 20 shots and 14 on goal necessarily. I thought RSL actually played a very spirited game, but it was just so smooth and clean for LAFC for the most part. Carlos Vela... Uh, Mario Reyes, uh, the great producer of this show, the producer of uh, LAFC. Yeah. Uh, one of the things you brought up about it afterwards, we were just kind of texting back and forth a little bit after yeah. we uh, saw the game. Uh, leading by example. Yes, he did, didn't he? And, and that was in my notes that, that you mentioned it. Yeah, I mean, he just did. He was getting back defensively, and he's done that all year, mind you. But, boy, it seemed like right from the jump last night, it was almost like we're not going to let this thing get out of hand. We're on the road. We're going to take this as seriously as any game on the schedule, which is great. It's what LAFC does with the U.S. Open Cup. And he did that last night. Now, the early goal was phenomenal, make no mistake. And the, the pass from Eduardo Tuesta, wow. Of I mean, course. This team just, uh, Tuesta is just amazing, frankly. And uh, he is getting better and better, more dominant even every week, it seems, which seems impossible. But the way he bosses that midfield is just ridiculous. So, And I thought, Mario, you had another great uh, observation on Tristan Blackman. Yeah, I've been that? watching him closely for the past couple games, which he's got plenty of minutes, yeah. and he's taking advantage of those minutes, and he just fitting right in with the guys and getting into the attack, you know? Yeah. And yep. he plays on that side, that on the same side as Vela, so that's helping him a lot, too. Yeah, I think that is a big key. Now, of course, you know, Steven Betashor plays there a lot, you know, when before Beta got hurt. I mean, you take advantage of when you have Carlos Vela in front of you. And that's what Betashore and Al Blackman have been able to do. And yeah. you have to. You have to be able to take advantage of what Carlos Vela being on that side is going to allow the rest of his teammates because they have to focus on Vela. Yeah. He's so you gotta be everybody. able to hang. You gotta be able to hang, you know, yeah. if you're not able to hang then you're going to get exposed and you're going to get out of there you know yep. you're not going to get the minutes but he continues to get the minutes because he has that confidence from bob bradley getting forward pouring forward like beta shore does and blackman start to look a lot like that he has some great ideas some great passes he's looking yep. really good yeah there's a couple times i think his ideas are awesome uh, what i did notice is he's still not a hundred percent sharp you know, and that'll come. Obviously, he hasn't played a lot. Yeah, that'll come with experience at this level. Like you know, a little bit of the, maybe a pass is a little bit loose. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's a little behind someone. You see the idea, though, and that's what Mario's talking about. And I think it's he's definitely coming along in that sense. The other stuff you sharpen up with time. You know, more playing time, generally speaking, means these guys are going to get sharper and sharper. So we're seeing some good things there. I got to tell you, the play of the night. <laughs> I as, know where you're going. As great as the Carlos Vela goal was and Eduardo Tuesta, the kick save by Pablo Cisniega making his first ever appearance 
Ah, for LAFC. You went a little elsewhere on this one, but I thought uh, you were yeah. going somewhere else. But okay, that was another I, huge. Yeah. No, no. There's another. There's more to talk about. Believe me. But so that, much. Yeah. That you know, at one nil, Cisniega made a magnificent save on a blast from Donny Toya. Great from close play. range. Oh too. yeah, great play by RSL. Frankly, deserved a goal. Yeah. Like we always talk about here on the show, you know, you want to make your opponent score great goals. It would have been a great goal. Cisniega gets the foot on it and kicks it out a mile. And what a reaction save that was. And that's pulling a Tyler Miller, Mario, and I'll tell you why. We've talked about it time and time again. You need, on this team, to make one big save a game. right? And that's what that save was. It was huge. It made it 1-0 still instead of 1-1, and all of a sudden, game on. And you never know what happens after that with RSL. The way he came out and made himself big, and yeah. then it was a reflex save. He yeah. had to make the reflex, and that was the save. Exactly. This was not like Donny Toya blasting it right to his gut or exactly. you know hitting Cisniego with a football. This was a no. save. Mm-hmm. This was an effort, and, and this was just cat-like reflexes uh, by Pablo Cisniega, especially for a guy who hasn't played a, a minute to yeah. be ready like that. To, he looked to, good, Dave. To pull the Tyler Miller, making the biggest save you need to make. Yeah, he really did. And, again, that just speaks to a lot of stuff. It speaks to the depth. It speaks to what Zach Abdel has done with these uh, goalkeepers to keep Cisniega this sharp when he hasn't played at all. And there's no reason that he's going to play in MLS. Tyler Miller's the number one keeper, rightfully so. But to be ready like he was, wow, just an incredible night for him. Latif Blessing continues to amaze. Fouled time and time and time again. Some dirty shots, frankly, from RSL. And they're, and to be perfectly honest, they're not really above that sometimes. Uh, Everton Louise and Kyle Beckerman lost their mind a few times. Both of them, I thought, could have been red carded out of the game. Or, in Beckerman's case, maybe two yellows, rather. But Everton Louise just mugged Latif from behind. Clear red card. Didn't even, didn't even flinch. And Latif Blessing has just been getting the job done. But so many great performances all over the pitch. Can I give you my highlight, Dave, of the night? I think I know where you're going, but I'll let you do it, Mario. We've been waiting for it. Fito Celaya comes in. Yes, we've been waiting for it. He finally shows up to come in. Oh, my goodness. And did he ever show up with that free kick that rocket, he blasted that. That thing was flying it so was. quickly. That led to the third goal. If you didn't see it, you probably heard about it. It uh, rocketed off the post. Yes. With Nick Romando being there. You know, it go, comes off the post and Adama Diamande with an easy tap in. Uh, you know, I was wondering if they were offside though. I, you know, I think it, see, it looked close, you know, in terms of. It did, yeah. But they must, you know, they must not have been, obviously. So the, the, the goal counted, even though there was some. Uh, concern about that in the sense right off the bat but yeah Dio was on the spot beating all the defenders back including Nick Romano to the football but Fito Zelaya deserves a lot you know what Mario how smart of LAFC yes to let him take that free kick Uh uh-huh at that time right he only gets about five six minutes of action trying to come off the injuries he's really not at a hundred percent I'm sure in terms of match day fitness there's no way he could be you know yeah you want him to play that's fine but how smart of Carlos Vela and his teammates, you know, to let Fito take the free kick at that point. You know, because now it just even that miss, it's not really a miss, it led to a goal. It gives him some confidence. And it leaves everybody wanting more. I yes. want to see more. He wants to come out and play. Now he some wants more. to work harder to keep yes. getting minutes. Exactly right. No, so so brilliant. Uh what a win. By the way, the Galaxy are about to get going. 
uh, taking on Orange County Football Club, and what an amazing matchup that's going to be in the Open Cup. But there is a little bit of a discrepancy I wanted to clear up as well for people. Despite Even if the Galaxy win, you know, later tonight, a couple hours away, they're about to kick off not too long from now. Even if they beat OCFC, that is not the matchup with LAFC necessarily in the next round. They kind of repot everything for this upcoming round, which will be drawn tomorrow, Thursday, on you know, for U.S. soccer. So they repot it. Yes, you'll be put into another pod of four teams that are more close geographically, like they did for this round. But it is not, you know, it's not like LAFC plays the winner of this game tonight. In other words, it could happen, but it'll be another draw between four teams in LAFC's pod which will be geographically determined. So it's likely that it's somebody like either the Galaxy or Orange County, maybe a Portland or whoever wins that game. You know what I mean? So it's all, again, it's kind of a redraw. And a lot of people have been saying, well, if the Galaxy win, they're going to play LA. That's not necessarily the case. So I just wanted to let people know that. Just to, you know, again, hopefully, maybe we'll get that matchup if LAFC can even beat Orange County. Football club. I'm kind of rooting for the underdog. It's always fun in the Open Cup to see the big upsets, isn't it? I mean, come on. But, you know, maybe we get the 12 mile derby again here in the U.S. Open Cup. I wouldn't hate it because, as we all know, they're back down to two games in the regular season for MLS rather than the three amazing games they played last season. Uh, we are just, we have so much more to get to. Coming up, Kiva O'Neill of the Liverpool Echo. You heard her a few shows ago. We wanted to give her like a week off to just bask in the glow of Liverpool winning the Champions League final. Now we're going to hear what that experience was like. That's coming up. And we still have stoppage time. That and so much more. I'm Dave Dathome. We're rolling on here in the home of world football in Southern California, ESPN LA 710. Soccer Weekly rolls on here, ESPN LA 710. What a show it's been. If you missed anything, don't forget you can podcast the show over at iTunes or on the uh, ESPN Pod Center. Just search Soccer Weekly. Subscribe, rate, and review. Let's get right to the L.A. Care Injury Report. Each and every week at L.A. Care, our mission has always been to provide quality, affordable health care coverage to all Angelinos. For more information, visit lacare.org today. L.A. Care for all of L.A. And same old, same old in a sense because it's slowed down a little bit in terms of play. We still have the injury for Stephen Betashore who missed the U.S. Open Cup game. He's missed a couple of MLS games with a hamstring strain. And he is out. If We talked about Tristan Blackman stepping in. Uh, Javi Perez, if you didn't know, he uh, tore his left ACL. He's out for the season. And, of course, for LA Galaxy, uh, Rolf Felcher still trying to get back to 100%. And you do have the uh, Romano Alessandrini injury, which is a little bit more long-term. Still a, a little while away, certainly, for him to come back and rejoin. So that is your LA Care injury report. Time now for Stoppage Time. What time is it? It's Stoppage Time! Yeah. It's Stoppage Time! Yeah. It's Stoppage Time! Right now! The great Mario Reeves, producer of LAFC here on ESPN LA and of this show. He is the host of Stoppage Time. Hello, Mario. Hello, Dave. How's it going, my man? Good. What do we got today? All right. So LAFC uh, came out on, there's news came out on Monday here that uh, LAFC is uh, transferred midfielder Andre Horta back yes. home to Portuguese side SC Braga. And uh, Executive Vice President of Soccer Operations and the GM, John Thorrington, said, We would like to thank Andre for his contribution to the club. This deal makes good sense for both LAFC and Andre, and we wish him the best in his next phase of his career at Braga. Yeah, there's some reports, Mario, that essentially LAFC owns a lot of his rights still, based on the, the, you know, the reports are, the rumors are, whatever, 
They got between about two to three million for the transfer, and they have a, a large chunk of his rights. If he does get sold off again, they'll get some more money. Look, it didn't work out, but it's not for the fact that it's not. It wasn't a good signing. Andre Horta is a very talented and skilled player. Just didn't quite work out, Mario. You know what I mean? Yes. But now the question becomes: Everybody assumes LAFC just gets another designated player, right? Now here's the thing, Mario. Consider this. Every MLS team's allowed three designated players, of course. Right. What if you use that third spot to keep somebody around? Does that make sense? Because like, that's okay. what I was thinking. Everybody Im- immediately assumes they're going to run out and sign some other player. Okay, maybe. But now what if uh, Eduardo Tuesta deserves a raise? Right? So what he, be- some, he would become a DP? Yeah, I mean, that's possible, right? We've seen it happen where teams give a guy a raise. Right. A huge, like We saw it with Sporting Kansas City with... Graham Zussi and Matt Beasler back in the day. What if a guy, you know, and I'm not trying to say this is what's going to happen. This is all my opinion. I want to make sure I keep this core together, you know? So, now again, John Thorrington has his fingers on the pulse of this. He knows what he's about to do. He's He, he knows what he's doing. But I'm saying let's not be so quick to just assume that they need to go out and get another designated player. That may be what happens. But I also wouldn't want to lose somebody or maybe you spread the money around a little bit mario and make a few guys happy you know what i mean yeah like they're doing all right without a third designated player right now and it gives you the flexibility going into next year maybe you still have a designated player spot available then i don't know we'll see what happens this team is loaded i mean this team is loaded so but what if they do want to fill that third dp spot with somebody what what kind of idea would you have let me ask you this here's the question who get who gets taken out of the lineup? That's what I'm saying. Like it, this team is loaded, but if they did want to fill it, where would you put somebody? Where would you put a third DP? Uh, as much as I love Adama Diamande and Christian Ramirez, I put them at striker. I put them at the big, you know, the number nine spot. I mean, right? I mean, if you're looking at anywhere where it's maybe not performing up to the level of everybody else in that starting eleven, maybe it's there. You know, if you found the right guy up front to bang in some goals, but they already got a lot of goals, Mario. You know, like, just because you're, your striker's not scoring 18 goals, well, Carlos Vela scored 16 in 16 games. I don't know that you actually need to make a move right now. I really don't. It's interesting. We'll, we'll talk about it more as we continue. Thanks so much to Mario Rees and all the gang back at the uh, in the broadcast booth there, or in, the, uh, in the control room, I should say. I am Dave Denholm. This is ESPN LA 710.